Hello, and welcome to the Hidden Gnome Podcast. Before we go any deeper, I thought I'd take a moment to let you know where we're heading. Today, we dive into one of the stories that Will White sent to his mailing list subscribers at some point in the last few years. All of these short stories are tucked away inside one or another of his worlds. Maybe Cradle, possibly Elder Empire, but probably Traveler's Gate. If you have never heard of those worlds before, then you do not have the training to extract full meaning from this journey. You may continue if you wish, but you may not reach true enlightenment. You'll know you were fully prepared for the story if we emerge from this podcast and you suddenly begin levitating and or glowing. Now, tighten the straps on your pack and raise your torch high, because we're delving into places unknown. Don't worry, most of you will probably make it out alive. The Reaping Dance 359th year of the Damascan calendar First year in the reign of Queen Leah I Reaping Day Wearing a mask made Simon feel like he was walking into a fight. This wasn't his mask, of course. It was a construction of polished, delicate metal that Leah had produced, white and silver on one side and silver and black on the other, a prop designed to imitate his real mask. It matched his clothes, tailored black pants, shirt, jacket, and shoes, all highlighted and accented in silver. Swords were stitched in gray thread everywhere they were allowed, and a silver badge on his chest showed the world he was from Valenhall. Only his cloak was real, as the nigh fabric was a tighter woven, darker fabric than anything the Damascan weavers could produce. There's nothing more ridiculous, he thought, than dressing up in a costume to look like yourself. He slipped into the crowded ballroom, tugging at his too tight collar. It was already packed, swimming with heat and noise, and he couldn't help but notice that none of the other guests had come as themselves. By her dress, fan, and mask, one woman had dressed as a peacock, another woman looked like a tree, and another wore seven colors and a bright-eyed mask that made her appear as a fanciful version of an Elysia incarnation. He considered that to be bad taste, but maybe it was just him. The other guests didn't seem to mind, though they hadn't gone blade to blade with Alan either. The men had gone with darker colors, through some unspoken rule of fashion that Damascans apparently inherited along with two-story houses and light hair. One older man had dressed as a gray wolf, another as a stone golem, and a third as, so far as Simon could tell, a brick wall. A group of people swirled around him, tittering about his costume and making polite overtures that he could use to enter their conversation. He would have had to call Nye Essence to leave any faster. In fact, the open windows with their billowing curtains were calling to him. They were only four stories up. He could throw himself out and land before anyone missed him. He'd have a gate to Valenhall torn open by the time Leah noticed he hadn't shown up. You think she hasn't thought of that? Kayla said, there are lyrial probes hovering outside the window. Simon's heart dropped. He hadn't been allowed to keep Kayla on him, as Leah's staff had insisted it wouldn't fit the costume. Why they got to tell him what did and didn't suit his costume mystified him, considering he was attending the party as himself. Who knew what Simon, son of Kalman, looked like better than he did? But he'd wanted to keep Kayla close in case of an attack, and the doll had refused to miss the party on any account. He'd been allowed to tuck her amidst the decorations representing the season. She sat on a hay bale in the corner, wedged between two straw dolls and a bundle of wheat. What's my best exit? 
Simon asked, the sheer weight of the crowd pressing in on him from every side as though his jacket were shrinking in size. Wearing a jacket underneath his cloak was another innovation that made him want to strangle Leah's mistress of wardrobe. Kayla made a thoughtful sound as though considering every angle before she answered. Hmm, straight ahead, by the fake throne. That's the opposite of an exit, he replied, though he still moved forward. Sometimes the easiest way out is through, she said, sounding very pleased with herself. Present yourself to Leah, play nicely with the other children, and maybe she'll let you skip the Winter's Day dance. That brightened him up slightly. If he cooperated here, maybe she would let him away from the next celebration. And Winter's Day was even worse than reaping, with bonfires and ribbon dancing. The crowd cleared in front of him, and he realized there was someone else dressed as themselves after all. Leah sat on an exaggerated prop version of the actual Damascan throne, this one being lighter on the ruby and heavier on golden spikes. Like him, she wore an exaggerated version of her usual public outfit, an intricate red and gold dress that spread out over her legs and spilled below the throne like a puddle of gilded blood. A ruby-set golden crown tied into her dark hair, which was elaborately curled and stacked about a foot taller than usual, and a mask that covered up the left side of her face entirely, but revealed her one bright blue eye. Like Simon, she was wearing a more complicated version of her normal attire. Unlike him, she wore it well. She sat as though she'd been born in a throne, looking down upon them like she was more a queen now than she'd ever been. It almost didn't seem like her somehow, as though the costume had added five years and a cold edge. When he approached, the Damascan lords and ladies scattered, like a gaggle of very polite geese trying to appear dignified as they scampered away from a large dog. Only a servant girl in bland gray, a villager with a plain mass-produced mask, stayed by the queen's side. He still kept his voice low as he spoke to the queen. She'd chided him before for speaking his mind to her where others could hear it. I don't understand the point of the masks, he said, especially when we're not in disguise. Indeed, the servant girl said, in Leah's voice. They're so easy to see through, I wonder why we bother with them at all. In Simon's head, Kayla laughed. Simon looked from the girl on the throne, who was studiously ignoring him, though a smirk played at the corners of her mouth, to Leah in the gray servant's costume with a plain mask. Her red eye was hidden behind a wave of her dark hair, which cascaded over her as though it just happened to hide the left half of her face. She gestured to it, smiling beneath her mask. It was a pain getting my hair to stay like this, I can tell you. And I've already had three jokes suggesting I'm too shy. Simon was still looking from Leah to her lookalike. Why? he asked at last. She shrugged one shoulder and opened her mouth as though to reply, but then her entire demeanor changed. She became very serious, leaning close to him and whispering. Word passed among the servants only a few hours ago, she said, voice low. We suspected an attack here, at the ball. He immediately stuck a hand out to the side to summon Mithra. Not on me, she said immediately. But there are many rich, influential people here. Some of them have enemies. He turned his back to her, scanning the room. One broad-shouldered man had swords strapped to every available plane of his body, dressed as either a Tartarus incarnation or a smithy. We need to get you out of here. 
She grabbed him by the shoulder and pulled him back around. I'm prepared, she said, flashing her lyrial crystal bracelet from beneath one sleeve. I can open a gate to Lyrial or Ragnaris in an instant. Besides, I have another guard. She pointed behind the throne, so Simon poked his head back there. Andra lounged against the wall in the shadows, eating a grilled chicken leg from a small plate. She waved the leg at him cheerily. Hey, Simon, could you grab me a couple of those fish patties? I'm not worried about myself, Leah said, pulling his attention back to her. But there are other people here, innocent people, who could be hurt. I need you to mingle with them, find out what you can, and report back to me. Mingling was more tedious than fighting, but at least it was something to do. He had a mission. He squared his shoulders. What am I watching for? He asked. There was a beat of silence before she answered. We can't be sure. We've heard whispers of a woman known as the Blackened Rose, but we can't be sure if it's an enemy traveler or simply their contact. Find out what you can, but be discreet. We don't want to tip our hand. He nodded and turned back to the crowd, ready to press them for information. She seized him again. Friendly, Simon. In this case, being discreet means being friendly. Just smile, make conversation, dance. Don't give them any reason to think you have another mission. The thought choked him, and he tugged at his collar again. But there were lives at stake. His attention sharpened, and he pushed his discomfort aside. This was just another room in Valenhall. The ballroom, maybe. Is there a ballroom? Simon asked Kayla. Oh, you don't want to go in there, she said. Just think of all those butterflies. He decided to ask her about that later. The first hour wasn't so bad. They couldn't tell whether he was smiling or not because he was one of the few people there wearing a mask that covered his entire face, so he just had to inject fake cheer into his voice as he made his way from conversation to conversation. He asked about children, about homes, about the recent incarnation troubles. After a few questions, he noticed people tended to open up. They were somewhat wary around him at first, but soon they launched into questions of their own, about Valenhall, about serving Queen Leah, about the fall of Enosh, about what it was like to fight an incarnation with his own sword. By the end of that first hour, he was both encouraged and discouraged. Encouraged because he could actually imagine this working. Every word they traded him was a chance for them to let their motives slip. Sooner or later, someone would edge away from him when they realized who he was, and he would take that as a sign of guilt. Discouraged because he hadn't actually learned anything. Then the music began. The servants cleared the floor for dancing, and his heart froze up. Relax, Kayla said, though he got the impression she was enjoying herself. Move with the music and pay attention to your partner. It's a lot like a duel, really. I don't dance. I can't dance. I'm not dancing. A young woman in a mask of a fiery lizard, something from Naraka, he was sure, grabbed him by the hand and tugged him forward. If you don't dance, it will look like something is wrong, Kayla said. Instead of staying nailed to the floor as he desperately craved, he let the girl pull him out to dance. At first, he moved more stiffly than a scarecrow in an earthquake. Kayla could barely stop laughing long enough to whisper directions into his mind, and his partner spent most of the song muscling him into position. She was strong for her size. In time with the music, Simon. One, two, three, pause. One, two, three. You passed the rain garden. You have to be able to do this. 
he called nigh essence. With the world slowed down, he enjoyed a minute or two where he could watch what everyone else was doing and just copy them. When the essence ran out and he jerked awkwardly back to normal time, his partner had to grab him by the elbow and haul him back in front of her. Sorry, he whispered. She gave him a consoling pat on the shoulder. By the time he spun into a new partner, he'd gotten the hang of the movement. In the end, it was just moving in sequence at a slow speed. Dueling Chaka every morning was ten times harder. Then the song changed, and he almost tripped over himself. He called Steel, keeping it on a slow trickle to steady his body. He traded a few pleasantries with his new partner, but this time he had enough presence of mind to scan the surrounding crowd, looking for anything out of place. Are you waiting for someone in particular? His partner asked politely from behind her serpent's mask. He discarded his first couple of short, blunt answers before he responded. He was supposed to be friendly tonight. Not in particular, he said. I only, I'm used to seeing danger everywhere. I find it difficult to relax, even in such friendly surroundings. Especially in such friendly surroundings, to tell the truth, but he was pleased with his answer. She seemed startled for a moment, then she chuckled. I can only imagine. If you don't mind me saying so, it must be difficult to live while expecting incarnations to leap out of every corner. It was difficult, but it was also strangely simple. When a monster popped out, he knew exactly what to do. He lifted her briefly, like he'd seen the other men do with their partners. That's most of my job, isn't it? Watching for threats. When he returned her to her feet, she took a moment to catch her breath, though she didn't stop moving. If you don't mind me saying so, there are a few people here I don't recognize. That man in the scales, she pointed him out as he twirled her around. The lady with the three hats and the woman in the black dress with the feathered mask. The figure in the feathered mask was a square-jawed, handsome woman with dark hair that matched her dress and the raven feathers in her mask. A stuffed raven even sat on her shoulder, reminding him of the Avernus bird that Leon normally kept. An unknown woman, all in black. The blackened rose? He was focusing too hard on the question at hand, and he lost control of his strength. This time, when he lifted the young woman, he accidentally tossed her into the ceiling. She only had time to gasp as he hurled her skyward, her serpent's mask slipping and her green dress snapping like a flag. The nigh essence had only been resting for a few minutes since he'd used it up, but he inhaled the last breath of it into his lungs, kicking off from the dance floor with all his steel strength. He rocketed up, landing with feet against the ceiling while she was still in midair. He caught her in his arms before she hit the surface, cradling her as delicately as he could, one hand gently cushioning her head against the impact. He righted himself with a kick against the ceiling, dropping back down with her in his arms and absorbing the impact with knees bent. Nigh essence faded, and the music screeched into silence. For a breath, everything was quiet. Then the guests burst into applause. A few shouts of hurrah or good show stood out from the general hubbub. The young woman clung to his neck like a terrified cat to a branch, her breaths coming so fast he thought she might pass out. I am, he couldn't think of anything apologetic enough, so he ended with, very sorry, I wasn't thinking I just lost you. 
It was another moment before she evened out her breaths and peeled her hands away from his neck, allowing him to place her carefully on her feet. As dancing couples started to swirl around them once again, giving them a wide berth, she finally steadied herself. Simon, isn't it? she asked at last. Yes, my lady, he said, voice full of dread. My name is Eliza. If you don't mind, I should very much like to dance with you again on another occasion. I would continue tonight, but I'm not sure I'm quite composed. He winced. I am sorry about that. I... No, no, don't be sorry. Winter's day? Winter's day. I expect to have a dance reserved. She glanced at him from behind her serpent's mask, as though about to say something else, but in the end, she scurried off. And to think I almost missed tonight, Kayla said wistfully. Simon wasn't entirely sure he knew what that meant, but fortunately he had a mission to distract himself. The woman in the raven mask was sweeping her way between knots of dancers, apologizing to some, utterly dismissing others, marching across the room as though she had a mission of her own. Toward Leah. Simon had to push through a wave of young women in colorful dresses, each of them suddenly very interested in whether or not Simon had a partner for the next dance. He wasn't sure exactly what he said to them, but it got him through without anyone drawing a hidden dagger and stabbing him in the ribs. By the standards of Valenhall, that was a success. Just in time for an assassination attempt, the woman was saying, even as she shouldered aside a graying fat man dressed as an elephant. Simon couldn't believe an actual assassin would be that bold, but on the bright side, at least she had made his job easy. He seized her by the wrist with a grip as solid as Benson's steel. Excuse me, my lady, he said politely. What was that you were saying? She froze for an instant, then slowly turned. What do you want, Simon? She finally asked. Her stuffed raven cocked its head, looked at him, and then let out a caw that jabbed a needle into his thoughts. As he stood there in surprise, her eyebrows raised over her mask. You didn't recognize me. Honestly, this is even less of a disguise than yours. Overlord Fiora Tyrannus was an Avernus traveler of the Corvinus tribe, which gave her a contract with mind-reading ravens. He hadn't interacted with her for most of a year. Which was still, of course, no excuse for not recognizing her. And she was one of the few people at the party who had earned Leah's trust. He said something incoherent that included the word attack. She considered him, and for an instant he thought he saw her wrestling her expression under control, but it was hard to tell with a mask covering the upper half of her face. I said that to get him to move out of my way, she said at last. It's nothing so dramatic as an assassination, but an attack? Absolutely. I'm picking up very determined, specific thoughts about assaulting defenses and overcoming obstacles. Simon drew himself up. From who? Can you tell? Overlord Fiora scanned the crowd and quickly extended a finger. There, the young woman in the snake mask and the green dress. It was his dance partner, the one he'd almost thrown into the ceiling. She had just come back into the hall, smoothing her skirts and bowing slightly to an older woman in a similar dress and mask. Of course, he thought. That was why she'd run out of the hall in a hurry. She'd known he was closing in on her. He immediately turned for Leah, but Fiora smacked him on the back of the head. Stop. Think. She's not going to attack Leah, we know that. What else could she be after? It doesn't matter, 
Simon said immediately. She won't get it. I'll walk her out, and if she doesn't leave, I'll throw her out the window. I don't think anything so dramatic is required, Fiora said, and her raven echoed that with another squawk. I get the distinct impression that she won't make a definitive move until after the masquerade, so why don't we keep an eye on her for a little longer? At the first sign of trouble, I assure you I'll let you know. Over the next few minutes, Simon kept his eyes fixed on a young woman in the serpent mask, Eliza, and the couple he determined to be her parents. Each second crawled by as he waited for them to make a move, to leave the hall, to draw weapons, something. They did gesture in his direction fairly often, but that could have been in reaction to his almost breaking their daughter's spine against the ceiling. After what felt like forever, the mother drifted over toward the throne. Despite Fiora's insistence that there were no hostile thoughts coming from her, Simon pushed close enough that he could make it to the throne with one steel-fueled leap, sword summoned and ready to use. He only stopped from moving even closer because the woman was clearly addressing the girl on the throne, not Leah in her servant's uniform. After a few minutes, Eliza's mother let out a laugh that carried even over the hubbub of the ballroom and then slid back to her daughter and husband. On her way, she cast a glance or two in Simon's direction. Or was that at Overlord Fiora? The death of an overlord would be a blow to the kingdom. Though he supposed that Fiora wasn't a likely assassination target, given that she could read minds. A servant slipped up beside Simon's elbow, holding a tray of drinks, and he gave a start when he realized it was Leah. You've shattered my expectations tonight, Simon. You did so well I almost want to check that it's really you under there. Simon glanced at her. Are you making fun of me because I almost threw a girl into the ceiling? Oh no, I received a number of compliments on your participation in the evening's entertainment. One nobleman came to me with a novel idea of Valenhall travelers juggling multiple acrobats at once, though I suggested it would be a waste of your powers in the event of an emergency. No, that's not the surprising part. You actually spoke with people. You danced with strangers. You asked about their sons and daughters and complimented them. Have you been watching me all night? They told me themselves. She flicked her hand at her replacement. Not me, me, but I heard them. You have something of a reputation as cold and distant, an icy hand who only moves when death is required. That seems dramatic, don't you think? I heard that from a nobleman with a loot, Leah said, handing a drink to a nearby man and taking his empty glass. I think she wanted to be a bard of some kind. Anyway, you've socialized. You should keep doing it, no matter how much you hate it. Life is easier when people like you. Uncomfortable, Simon changed the topic. He pointed to the mother and daughter in the serpent masks. I can remove those two for questioning, quietly. Overlord Tyrannus helped me identify them. They're planning something. Leah raised an eyebrow and looked at Fiora, who grinned beneath her raven mask. They are planning something indeed, Leah said. Eliza Darbaris's mother wanted to know how old you were, if you were promised to anyone, and if you could be spared from your duties sometime soon for a social gathering at their manor. He stared at her blankly. With her daughter. It clicked into place at the same time Kayla's laughter started up again. His mask hid his expression, for which he was very glad, though he wondered if she could see straight through it with her Ragnarus eye. So, who is the blackened rose, he asked. 
She gave him a look that said she was shocked he hadn't figured it out. No one. I made it up. Not every event you attend is going to have a deadly threat looming over it. This was just a party. He turned from Leah to Overlord Fiora, who took a glass from Leah's tray and raised it to her lips. Nothing I said was untrue. He looked back to Leah. Why? Because last time I encouraged you to dance, you left out the tower window. Congratulations, you've survived the Hidden Gnome Podcast. Today's story was The Reaping Dance by Will White, read by Travis Baldry. The next episode will be available in about a week. Or will it? Until that time, remember, the bird following you can be trusted. Let him protect you.